Brilliant. Well, uh, welcome to you. It's good to look at the Bible this morning. This morning we're going to be looking, if you have a Bible you might want to turn or, you know, on your phone or whatever it is, microchip in your head. We're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 17 this morning. While you find out, let me just say a couple of things. Thank you to those of you who have been praying, giving, contributing to Grow. So we had our first week this, uh, this week. Grow is our um, education provision for uh, our kind of um, starting, I suppose, of a, a school really. And we started this week and the children had a fantastic time. And uh, uh, I don't know about Jared and Roxana, but the children had a fantastic time. I think uh, Jared and Roxana had a great time as well. And uh, so thank you very much, those of you who've been praying and have kind of given and are just really behind us in this. Uh, so yeah, it's been a really good first week. The second thing to say is, um, just by way of a, another notice to add, so a few weeks ago I told you that at some point this month we were going to have a wedding as part of our Sunday morning service and encouraging you to be punctual. Um, so thank you to those of you who made an extra effort to be here uh, uh, by 10.30. So next Sunday we are going to have a wedding. I think that's right, isn't it, Emmanuel Basola? So Emmanuel Basola's daughter is coming to this country and uh, they've, uh, she's had a, a wedding in Nigeria but uh, Emmanuel and Basola weren't able to be there. And so next Sunday, we're going to have proper church wedding opportunity for them as parents to give their daughter away and for us as a church family to celebrate with them. So it's part of our service next Sunday morning. It's part of our meeting next Sunday morning. We're going to have a wedding. So please come ready to celebrate and, uh, and kind of enjoy that as well as everything else that normally goes on on a Sunday morning. Brilliant. I think that's it. Right. I don't know whether any, you, had, you had a little sneak preview uh, before when Doug was giving his notice. I don't know whether anyone saw the news this week. I wonder whether we could just kind of play a little clip from the news. Oh. Should we try it again with the, with the sound? I don't know. Good morning and welcome to BBC News. Plans for privately run drunk tanks to tackle alcohol fuel disorder have been backed by police chiefs. Under the proposals, drunk troublemakers will be taken to cells run by private firms and have to pay for it once they've sobered up. The Association of Chief Police Officers says problem drinking is on the increase and action is needed to deal with it. Okay, but that's, the that's fine. So I know what you're thinking. You know, Steve's thinking it's fresh as week. He's clearly taking the opportunity to preach on the evils of alcohol and here's something that supports him. No. Did anyone notice anything interesting about this news uh, clip? Yeah? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. If you, do you want to play it again, maybe without the sound this time, and you have a look. So uh, here he is. Normally, you're used to seeing news presenters holding an iPad to talk to. What he has, in fact, is a packet of A4 paper there. <laughs> and this happened this week that uh, the newsreader, he kind of picked up off the desk what he thought was his iPad. And uh, it, it turns out that it was a, a pad of paper. And... Um, but the... And he, he thought, ah, let's just go with it. Maybe no one will notice. I think the interesting thing for me is, you know, it, it didn't make a blind bit of difference, did it? You know, it, clearly this kind of, they hold these, these sort of iPads and these tablets and it makes them look like, hey, we're interactive. We are kind of getting our news feed. And it's clearly just a prop, isn't it? It's just a show. And, it, you know, he, he, it would be as useful to have a pad of A4 paper to, to do this. And I want, it's... Um, when I heard about this this week, I thought it was quite appropriate because this, uh, this morning I want to talk about this sense of 
you know, putting on a show or putting on an act or, or kind of pretending. Um, we're continuing the theme that we started a couple of weeks ago, looking at the life of King David from the Old Testament, and really about how he demonstrated godly, good character and, uh, and that we can learn from. And today, I'm looking at how he was secure in who he was. He didn't need to pretend. He didn't need to pretend to be presenting with an iPad or a packet of A4 paper. He was secure in who he was. And I'm going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 17, and I'm going to read from verse 32, a fairly well-known passage. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he has been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into the forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Let me pray for us before we start looking at this passage some more. Well, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you know each and every one of us. Lord, that your word tells us you made us, you created us, you knit us together in our mother's womb. 
Your word tells us that you have the hairs on our heads numbered. You know us better than we know ourselves. And we thank you, Lord, that you have a vision and a heart, a passion and a call for each and every person here in this room. Today, Lord, we want to pray that you would speak us and help us to understand that heart and that vision and that passion and that call. That you would help us to know we were made, we were crafted, we were handmade by the living God and to understand your call on our lives. Lord, would you speak to us? Would you minister to us? Would you help us this morning, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So this is a fairly uh, famous account, fairly well known, uh, the account of David and Goliath. And uh, it's, it's an expression, isn't it? It's often used as a, a metaphor for the little guy against the big guy. Or when, when there's FA Cup ties in the football and it's um, some tiny little team playing Manchester United, it's called a David versus Goliath clash. Um, but there is more going on here in this narrative than just victory for the little guy. It's, it's, it's more than just saying, well, you know what, if you're little, don't lose heart, don't put yourself down. What's going on here is about where we put our trust. If we trust in the Lord and put our confidence and our identity in him, nothing is impossible. I want to make some observations about this passage and then I want to draw out some contrast. The first observation is that Saul didn't think David was up to the job. Here's David willing to take on this uh, Goliath, this geet huge warrior from the Philistine army. And Saul just, you know, didn't see it at all. He was using certain uh, criteria um, to, to sort of judge who could take on this mighty warrior. And David didn't fit. David didn't have the experience. Saul saw it on purely human terms. Now, anyone who's ever applied for a job may be able to empathize with David here. You know, I certainly remember, you know, applying for jobs and somehow they, the kind of job advert, they're looking for somebody and all you're trying to do in sort of filling in your CV or your personal statement is trying to persuade them that, that kind of what you have fits what they're looking for. They, the, and Saul was looking at it on a purely human terms. It's like he had a job description for the warrior who could defeat Goliath. And David didn't have any of the essential criteria. He didn't even have any of the desirable criteria. There was an interesting uh, discussion that's been taking place this week. I um, don't know whether anyone saw this in the news. Comments by Tim Loughton, who um, was a former conservative minister at the Department for Education. And he was uh, criticizing one of his uh, one-time um, coalition colleague, Sarah Tether, who was also from the Department for Education. She was in charge of family policy. And uh, he suggested that she didn't believe in family. And one of his criticisms was she didn't have a family of her own. How could she be in charge of family policy when she didn't have one? And it's kind of sparked a bit of a debate, I think, amongst the chattering classes and, you know, bloggers and things like that about, you know, what value is there in experience? Can people who aren't parents give advice to parents, for example? And I think Saul might have had some sort of sympathy with this argument, you know. He looked at David and said, you have not got the experience to take on this warrior. And David's response is interesting. 
because he makes reference to his experience fighting lions and bears when he was a shepherd, but he doesn't just present Saul with his CV. Well, look, here's my experience. I'm more than qualified for the task. You just see it with a bit of creativity. No, he, he made reference to his experience, but he said, well, here is what God has done in me. Here is what God has done through me. It wasn't just, well, no, I'm, I'm great. I'm good. It's okay. You can trust me. It was God. It was all in reference to God. So it wasn't just, you know, I've killed bears and I've killed lions, so I can kill Goliath because that's the same, isn't it? But it was about God who delivered him then. And even though the situation might be different, God is the same. Different situation, same God. And that helped Saul, didn't it? Saul was persuaded. And so Saul next tries to be helpful. But again, he approaches it in worldly human terms. Here is what you need for the battle. Here is your armor. Here is this, uh, the shield. Here is the, the things you need if you're going to go out into battle. And David recognized, helpfully I think, that what worked for others wasn't necessarily going to work for him. He said, you know, I can't go out wearing these things. I'm not used to wearing these. They weren't going to help him. And we sometimes talk about you know, needing to wear your own armor, about needing to do what works for you, and that's not always what works for other people. Just because somebody else has this style of preaching doesn't mean you need to copy them or pretend to be like them. Just because somebody else, when they're sharing their faith, does it like this, you, know, you need to find the way that suits who God has made you, or ways of doing church, for example. And that takes confidence to do something different when everyone else is going a different way to stick to your course. You know, when other people are saying, well, this land is full of giants, we can't possibly uh, defeat them, they're too strong for us, to say, actually, we should go up and take possession of it. It requires confidence. And David had that confidence. He was confident in who God was and who he was in God. Another observation is when you are comfortable with who you are, it can often make others uncomfortable. When you are secure in your identity, when you meet people who aren't so secure, actually it can make them uncomfortable and it can rattle them. It's really interesting in verse 42, um, Goliath's response when David comes out to battle. It doesn't say that Goliath dismissed David or who's this little man. It doesn't say that uh, Goliath derided David. His first response, it says, is he despised David. Goliath despised David. Now, for me, there's something about, here's Goliath, this, um, you know, he's this giant who's got a shield bearer in front of him, and, you know, he's kind of the man. And here comes this, this little boy, effectively, in contrast, out before him. But he's confident in who he is. And there's just some response in Goliath that makes him uncomfortable, that he feels you know, he, he despises David. But David's confidence wasn't just self-confidence. It was God-confidence. It's interesting that once Goliath was slain, the Philistine army, the whole army, fled. One man has died. A tiny percentage of the whole army has been slain, and they ran. They were putting their confidence in this man, in Goliath. And without him, there was no hope. David was putting his confidence in God. And it's contrasts like this that really kind of show up David's character and the fact that he's got a different spirit. The contrast between David and the Philistines about who's, who you're placing your hope in. 
There's an obvious contrast, isn't there, between David and Goliath, which is a contrast between big and small on a couple of levels. You know, David is small, Goliath is big. Yet, when it comes to what's on the inside and how they're feeling internally, actually David felt big on the inside and Goliath was much smaller. But the contrast that I really want to look at this morning is the contrast between David and Saul. Saul putting his confidence in credentials, on experience, on what somebody looks like, um, on their natural attributes, and David who puts his confidence in God. And for me, this is the more interesting contrast. And I think the more relevant for us because Saul is, I suppose, what we'd call a believer. You know, the Philistines, they were Philistines. They were uncircumcised. They weren't part of God's people. Saul was the king of Israel. Saul was God's anointed king until he threw it all away. And, and you know, it seems like there's much more that we can learn from looking at these two contrasts of men called by God about how David was so secure and how Saul was so insecure. And we really see Saul's insecurity come out in the next chapter in 1 Samuel 18. And it says in verse 6, When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They have credited credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. I think this is really uh, you know, interesting. Because let's remember, David and Saul, they're not peers. It's not like they're both colleagues in the office, both going for promotion and only one of them can get it. Saul's the king. You know, he's called to be king. He's, uh, he's you know, the one chosen by God to rule the nation. He, he looks like a king. He's little David, Saul. It says of Saul that he was uh, a head taller than anyone else. He was an impressive sight. But the thing is, and what we see coming out in this verse, in this response from Saul, is Saul did not feel like a king. He was a king in name. He looked like a king, but he wasn't a king on the inside. When Saul was chosen to be king, the prophet Samuel came to him and told him, you are God's choice to rule Israel. And, uh, and Saul was not convinced. He said to Samuel, Am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? Saul couldn't believe he had been chosen to be king. He felt like an imposter. There'd been some sort of administrative error going on here. But God, in his grace, doesn't think, Maybe I've made a mistake here. God says he confirms it to him. Samuel anoints him with oil. This is a clear sign in the Old Testament that God has called someone to a certain task. And to reassure him further, Samuel tells him about certain things that are going to happen. And guess what? They all happen. They all come true. They confirm what Samuel says. And yet Saul still doesn't get it. The doubt is still there. So, for example, you know, after he's been pronounced king, he doesn't go and tell his dad. You know, he's just been declared to be the king and he doesn't go and tell his father. And then indeed, when the kind of formal ceremony to, uh, the, for the king to be publicly selected and announced happens, Saul was hiding among the baggage to avoid being chosen. 
It seems pretty clear Saul found it hard to accept that God was calling him to be the king. And this sense of not being sure of himself is manifested in other ways. So, for example, what other people thought of him was really important to Saul. We read of him disobeying God when the people get afraid, of allowing people to tell him what to do. He even admits to Samuel at one point, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people, and so I gave in to them. It sounds really good, doesn't it? It sounds like he's really contrite. And then he goes on, he says to Samuel, I have sinned. But please, can you come and honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel? Come back with me, you know, so that I, I still look like I'm the man. He, he, it's like he recognizes the problem, but he just fails to deal with the issues. So we see that Saul was racked with doubt about what, um, about what he thought about himself and about what others thought of him. And these factors all contribute to him making some pretty bad decisions. Disobeying God by making a sacrifice only a priest should make. Failing to wipe out the, the people called the Amalekites when God tells him, wipe them all out, every single one. He even sets up a monument in his own honor. And here we see the importance of character. That's why we're talking about this. Because Saul's character flaws weren't minor things. They led to him making some pretty bad, pretty catastrophic decisions. Which had consequences that Saul had to live with. The most serious of those was he disappointed God. The Lord was grieved that he had made Saul king. In uh, chapter 13, Samuel says to him, You acted foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Basically, Saul mucks it up big time. What a contrast between David, confident in who he is, confident in God, and Saul, racked with doubt. I want to um, just pick out a couple of things that I think reflect the differences in these two men that we can say about Saul's insecurity and David's security. The first is about accepting God's call on our life. Accepting God's call on our life. Saul found it hard to accept God's call on his life. He found it hard to accept that God had called him to be the king. He felt small. Why do you say this to me? He asked Samuel when the prophet declared him to be king. Saul had this nagging doubt that some mistake had been made. He didn't feel comfortable accepting the role that God had for him. Actually, most of the time, God is more interested in what others would have him do than what God wants him to do. And linked to this idea of rejecting God's call, we see that Saul clearly thinks sometimes his ideas are better than God's, like the case of the Amalekites where he lets some of them live. Um, Saul didn't accept God's call on his life. David, on the other hand, embraces the call of God. Looked at David in the past couple of weeks about how, whether it was, you know, to go and play the harp, to be an armor bearer, to be a shepherd, to be a warrior. Whatever God calls him to, he responds. When God speaks, David follows. And ultimately, it comes down to a relationship with God. The way in which Saul related to God 
Well, it left quite a bit to be desired. David, on the other hand, is described as a man after God's own heart. Later on in Samuel, where, where we kind of find David in difficult circumstances, he doesn't try and please the people like Saul does. He didn't give in to the fear. He finds strength in God when he's afraid. So we need to accept God's call on our life. I am, I, I spoke on, on this topic probably about 10 years ago, actually, some of you might you know, remember. Um, and, and when I spoke about it, you know, you've got good memories, or really big notebooks. Um, I spoke about this, this kind of passage about 10 years ago, and really at the time it came out of God speaking to me and, and sort of dealing um, with me about kind of insecurities in my life and how I viewed myself. God really spoke to me at that time about not, um, not allowing myself to put myself in a box or not allowing others to put me in a box but about kind of broadening my view and my concept of God's call on my life. And that kind of really uh, affects how I respond to um, sort of my perception of being labeled or stereotyped or stuff like that. And um, just accepting God's call um, is a really significant thing. What is God saying about this situation? So this morning, I want to ask you, what is God calling you to? What is God calling you to this morning? And have you accepted it? The thing that then flows out from that, the second thing, is about relying on God's provision for that call. The area where we see a difference in David and Saul. It's about relying on God's provision for that call. So for Saul, there was a lack of faith in the area of God's provision for what he'd been called to do. And this is strongly linked to him rejecting God's call. Because, you know, if God calls us to something, he will provide the resources that we need to do it. Whether it's about wisdom or physical strength or finances or grace Whatever. You know, if God calls, he provides. You even see this in the life of Jesus Christ that he says in, in Luke 4, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Why is the spirit of the sovereign Lord on him? Because he has anointed me to proclaim news, good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. You know, the father had a call on Jesus and he anointed him and provided him with the spirit to do that. Similarly for us, you know what? God's grace is sufficient for us. Saul found it hard to accept what God had called him to because he didn't believe that he was up to it. You see, he made the mistake of, of thinking that God calls those who are already equipped. But actually, it's, it's the other way around. When God calls you, then he equips you. God doesn't look for, you know, oh, who's the best preacher? Let's get them to preach. God calls people to do things and he gives them what they need to do it. Saul got it the wrong way round, which meant he didn't recognize and he wasn't able to receive God's provision, God's equipping of him. And because he didn't accept within himself God had called him to be king, he didn't trust God for the resources to do that. And it's kind of a bit of a double whammy for Saul. He finds himself doing a job he doesn't feel up to and struggling in his own strength to do it. He was relying on his own strength and that wasn't good enough. Basically, Saul got himself and God out of perspective. He either underestimated God's power or he overestimated himself. And this is, again, in contrast to David, we've already commented on the fact his confidence was not in his natural ability, but his supernatural ability, that which God enabled him to do, that God enabled him to kill lions and bears and Philistines. You get this sense, I think, with David that he believed he could do anything God called him to because God was up to the task. 
where God calls, God provides. Mentioned before, you know, we just had our first week of grow, and uh, as parents, you know, we spent a few months trying to put this together. And I think one of the things, you know, we've obviously been challenged about finance uh, for us as parents, kind of contributing to this. And one of the things that really encouraged me was just, um, I suppose, the expression about, you know, what God can afford our children. You know, we're trying to do this, we're trying to provide for our children, but it's God who provides, and He can afford our children. Where God calls, He provides. I remember when I uh, started working for the church many, many, many years ago, when I was working for the church, um, just kind of being quite daunted by the, the task, because I, you know, I was kind of coming into a role that it wasn't like I was replacing somebody who'd been doing this job, and I just had to take over what they were doing. It's just like blank bit of paper, what am I going to do? And being really daunted, and just being so encouraged by God that, um, you know what, I can do all things through Jesus. You know, Paul uses that verse to talk about financial provision, but it's true of all sorts of provision. Whatever God calls us to, he provides, and that was certainly my experience. You know, I remember the last um, men's encounter, being on, um, if you're new, we have encounters from time to time, which is just a fantastic time where God helps us to deal with the baggage that we've picked up from our past and really get God's truth and God's identity in us. And I remember um, at the last men's encounter, I've been on many encounters, led encounters, spoken on encounters. But just when I was preparing for the encounter and praying, just having this confidence that came from God about, you know, praying for people, that actually when we pray for people, we're asking God to do something. And so almost having confidence that, well, if, if you ask God to do something, you don't need to kind of force something. You know, you don't need to push people to the ground or anything like that to make it look dramatic. Actually, just... Um, I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to see what God does. And it, it was just such a liberating experience. And, you know, that's true all the time. But it was just on that last encounter, God really spoke to me about that and really helped me. Because once we've accepted God's call, we can be sure that he will give us the grace to fulfill that. He gives us everything we need to fulfill that calling. But we need to come to terms with both of those aspects, God's call and God's provision. Because as long as we are resisting God's call, we put our efforts into avoiding it rather than looking to see God's providing for us. So again, what is God calling you to? Do you believe he will provide? Are you trusting him to provide for that call? And the culmination of these things, the thing that see them resulting in the mess that Saul finds himself in is he fails to deal with the issues. He fails to deal with the root stuff going on in his heart and his mind. Saul was an appeaser. He, he wouldn't deal with stuff. You know, when his men were fearful, Saul wanted to keep them happy rather than, you know, say, look, let's pray to the God. Let's deal with this fear at its root. He just wanted to keep them happy. When others were critical of him as king, Saul just allowed it. He let people dismiss him to write him off because he was afraid of confrontation. And we see this in his dealings with David. One minute he's saying sorry to David when David's there. And he's, oh yeah, really kind of remorseful. And then once David's gone, he's chasing him and trying to kill him. Um, Saul's always trying to escape from his problems or hide from the issues. He just doesn't take the opportunities to deal with stuff. And these undealt with problems lead Saul deeper and deeper and deeper into trouble. Let's again contrast that with David. In that passage we read, when Saul says, you can't take on Goliath, you know, who are you, little boy? 
does David think, oh yeah, I'll go back to my sheep? He says, no, actually I can. When Saul says, you need to put on this armor and dress this way, does David say, oh, okay. He says, no. And he doesn't do it in a disrespectful way. You know, David's always at away. He's talking to the king here. He doesn't do it in a disrespectful way but he does it in a kind of, in a faithful way. So it's not just kind of, you know, the arrogance of youth. Yes, I can do anything. It's about David's confidence in God. And crucially, it's backed up by experience. David sees things differently from Saul, but his view has credibility. Because it's really easy to see things differently, you know. Churches up and down the land are filled with people who think that, you know, oh, the church should be run differently or done differently or whatever. But crucially, David has integrity. He has credibility because he said he's done it. Do you know what I mean? He's got, he doesn't just have a broadband connection so he can write lots of blogs about what's wrong with the church. He's doing it. He's, he's putting his faith in God. It's based on credibility. It's like there's a famous account of the evangelist Moody who uh, you know, faced some criticism for how he did evangelism. And there's a famous account of how a woman said to him, oh, I don't like the way that you, um, you do evangelism. And he said to her, well, how do you do evangelism? And she said, oh, well, I don't do evangelism. And he kind of says, well, I prefer my way of doing evangelism to your way of not doing evangelism. <laughs> you know, David had credibility. He, he, so we need to deal with the things that are contrary to God's call. And that was the whole issue for David in David and Goliath. It wasn't David thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to prove my alpha male credentials. I'm going to take on the hardest person that's around. David's issue was Goliath was, with Goliath was because Goliath had defied the Lord. Goliath had come against God's people. It was about Goliath versus God and not just about Goliath versus David. It's about the call of God. We see in the New Testament Paul speaking to Timothy and he says in 1 Timothy 4 verse 12, Don't look, let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And for Paul, again, it wasn't just about, hey, all young people are really cool and great, and all old people are, you know, old fuddy duddies. It was about the call of God. You know, Timothy was God's choice to, to, um, to lead, and Paul had anointed him and appointed him to lead. And so he says, that's what you need to do. And whatever comes against that call, be it people speaking about how young you are or how inexperienced you are, you can't just let it go. You need to do what God's called you to do. Be an example. So we need to deal with the things that are contrary to God. And, and, and again, it kind of comes back to being confident in God, who God has called you to be. If we are confident in God is, who God has called us to be, we can deal with stuff. We don't need to be defensive. Because part of the symptom of insecurity, of not being confident in who we are, is about being defensive. And um, I think uh, those of you who are English may be able to uh, identify with this. Um, but I think generally the sort of English people can be quite um, uh, sort of look down on themselves, I suppose, be quite self-deprecating. We can generally have quite a low opinion of ourselves. Usually until we meet somebody else who has a low opinion of ourselves, so, you know, we can kind of think, you know, play it down, oh, I'm not any good. Until you actually meet somebody who says, yeah, you're not any good, are you? And then suddenly we kind of list off every achievement we've ever done in our lives. You know, we, 
we get defensive in the face of criticism. I don't think that's just an English thing, actually. It's a human thing. It's one of the things that can happen if we're insecure. We can get defensive. We can also focus on appearances, on trying to, put, to be something. We can put more effort into how we appear than how we are actually doing. As long as we appear to be doing okay, it doesn't matter what's actually going on. It's all about style over substance. So we can focus on appearances. The other symptom of being uh, insecure is we can get competitive. There's a, a, a film called School for Scoundrels, and I, I think it was remade. I haven't watched the remake, but there's this kind of classic 50-year-old film. Um, and it, it's all about one person, these two people who are fighting over this girl, and uh, kind of one of them is always getting the edge. So the other enrolls in the, 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 uh, the school for one-upmanship, to learn how to be one-up. Because if you are not one up, you are one down. It says, and it's all about this guy learning how to kind of get the edge over the other person. And again, we can, we can do that. We can get competitive. We can try and get one over or, or look for faults in other people to reassure us. I, um, kind of, I, I draw together a, a kind of group of people who do a similar job to me around uh, the, the sort of region and uh, we kind of get together every couple of months. And generally, the people that really like coming, A, because they get lots of helpful tips and experience and stuff like that, but generally because there's always somebody else who's doing worse than you are in the job. And people, people actually say, oh, I'm so glad we're not like the worst. We're not at the bottom of the league table in these government league tables and things like that. Actually, do you know what? none of those things are good enough to focus on appearances or get defensive or to try and be one up. We need to deal with issues at the root. David knew who he was. He knew who God was. So this is really important. So in a minute, we're going to pray and ask God to help us in this. Because this is important for our own lives. It's really important for our our witness and our credibility in the world today. Society today is confused in its identity. Because if you don't receive your identity from God, who made you, then you have to find it in all sorts of other places, in sex and sexuality and in relationships, about your experience or your function, um, your job, what you do. I spent an hour in a meeting this week discussing where people sit in our office. Because some people put a lot of store and they get a lot of identity about where they sit in the office. You know, when those things are threatened, then we get defensive, we get uncomfortable, because our identity is challenged. So our confidence as Christians in God is a powerful testimony. It's really important. We need to be confident in who God has called us to be. So this morning I want to pray, I want to encourage us to pray. Um, if you are a, a visitor to our church this morning, and you know, lots of churches have different, aren't they? You can kind of get different styles and different flavors of church. We're the kind of church that really believes in dealing with the issues. You know, we don't come to church on a Sunday morning to paper over the cracks of what our lives are like the other six days of the week um, to make us feel a bit better and less bad about all the issues. We're a kind of church you think we need to deal with these issues. We need to be the best that we can be. So I'm going to encourage us to pray this morning. And there's a few areas that I think it might be good to pray. Thanks, Doug. I want to pray about the issue of words spoken over us or people trying to pigeonhole us or stereotype us or put us in boxes. You know, if people are trying to say, well, such and such, they're, they're just kind of, you know, they're really good for doing practical things. That's what they're best at. And actually your sense is God's got a bigger call on you than that. Or people have spoken words over you that says, well, you're never going to amount to anything. You can never go and kill the giant. You can never lead anyone to faith. You can never accomplish this or do that. 
I want to pray about those things. And I want to, it's a bit of a challenge because, you know, it's really difficult, isn't it? And it's, in some senses, like when people do that to us, we are the victim of what they say and they try to put us down. But part of how we get free from those things is needing to repent. And, uh, and we often associate repentance with doing something wrong. You know, when we sin, when we mess up, we need to repent. But you know what? If we've accepted something on our lives that's not God's call on our life, we need to repent. We need to say sorry to God for choosing something other than his best. Can I ask us all to stand up just to help us to focus and to pray? And I want to start by praying about that thing. If you can recognize that you've allowed yourself to be put in a box that isn't the box that God has for you. If you can recognize that people have spoken words over your life that have stopped you embracing the call of God on your life. I want to encourage you to pray and ask God to help you. So I'm not going to ask you to acknowledge that to me, but it's important that you acknowledge that to God. Father, we want to pray for each and every one of us here. I want to pray for anybody, Lord, who has been put in that situation. I want to pray for people here who have been squashed in their core, who have been prevented from being the person that you've called them to be by the views of others or even the views of themselves, by words spoken over them whether it's words spoken by others, by people in authority, by parents, by teachers, by leaders, by employers, or whether it's things that people here have resolved in their own heart and said, I'm, I'm not going to put myself in that situation. I'm no good at that. I'm never going to preach again because I didn't like how it felt last time. Lord God, we want to pray for each and every person here who has been squashed and who has accepted less than the call of God on their lives, Lord, would you forgive them and help them? Lord, I want to pray that you would just release them from those words. Lord, we want to pray by the power of the blood of Jesus that you would neutralize every word, that you would forgive, Lord God, us for accepting less than your call on our lives. just want to you know give a little bit of time because often in these times then God can bring things to mind or just help you recall stuff even you know things you might have forgotten but they've had a profound impact on your life Lord would you would you uncover what needs uncovering this morning Lord God would you reveal how we've been affected by the boxes people have tried to put us in and Lord, would you forgive us and help us this morning? I want to deal and pray about a few other things as well. I want to pray about those, those symptoms that we talked about, those things that come out of insecurity, about putting on appearances, trying to be something I'm not, about defensiveness, or competitiveness. I want to 
just give us the opportunity and give God the opportunity to deal with that this morning. You know what? This is a safe place. We're talking about you and God. A place where you can be who God made you to be. I really want to encourage you this morning. If you've been guilty of putting on a front, of taking on a persona that's not you, and it's not who God made you to be, to take off that persona this morning. If you have put up the barriers every time you've been challenged about your life, about who you are, about things you've done, if you're the sort of person who can't accept criticism from others, from your pastor, from God, I'm going to give you an opportunity to repent this morning. If you've been the sort of person that's always trying to get one up, that has even been pleased when others have slipped up, that gets defensive when you compare yourself to others and you hope that actually they don't win all those souls because it'll make you feel bad. This morning, we need to repent. We need to say to God, Lord, this is how I've been. This is what I've done. This is what I've thought. And that's wrong and I'm sorry. So Lord, I want to pray for as many of us who are in that boat, who recognize that verdict on our life, Lord, would you forgive us? Lord, would you help us to be confident to be who you have made us to be? Would you help us to be confident in going with the call of God on our lives and not pretending to be something else, of not being this caricature of a Christian, of not, you know... Um, you know, putting on a front or a brave face. Lord, would you forgive us, Lord, and help us to be who you made us to be? Would you help us to dismantle this, uh, this creation that we've uh, built up? God, Lord, yeah. You know what? We need to deal with the problems, but we don't just deal with the negative. We need to embrace the positive. And again, this morning, I want us to pray about the call of God on our lives. Each and every one of us, God has a call for. God has a vision of. God has a passion about. God knows what he's doing. He knew what he was doing when he chose you. You're not here by accident. You're not here by your own choice. You're here because God wanted you. God wanted you. God has put value on you. And he didn't want you because you're useful to him. He wanted you because he wanted you. And he wants you to embrace the great, fantastic, tailor-made call of God on your life. The thing, the life that he has for you. Does anybody want to receive the call of God this morning. I want us to pray. Let me encourage you to stretch out your hands as if to say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of surrendering my agenda and I'm receiving from you. And this morning, I, I'm going to pray and ask God to speak to us. And just, just like David didn't put his confidence in his experience, you know, we're not going to put our confidence in our ability to hear from God. We're not putting our confidence this morning in the fact that, oh, I'm so great at getting words and visions and pictures. We're putting our confidence in God and his desire and his ability to speak to us this morning.
So Lord, I want to pray for each and every one of us in this room, whether we're close to you, whether we're far from you, whether we've walked for you, with you for years, or whether we hardly know you. Lord, would you speak to us? Help us to see the call of God on our lives this morning. Would you reaffirm it? Lord, you know, I feel like some people this morning just need reaffirming. You're doing the right thing. You're in the right place. I think others of us need reminding of words that have been spoken over us, of things you have given to us, Lord God. Be reminded of that this morning, to fan afresh the call of God. Would you speak to us this morning, Lord? And I finally want to pray for that provision, that sense of where God calls, He provides. Lord, we want to pray that you give us faith for the journey, Lord God. You know, just as you're calling us to to go down a path, that maybe we don't know what's at the end of this path. We don't know what we're going to need on the way. But like you said to your disciples, you know, go and don't take provisions. You know, the provision was on the way. It was in the journey. Lord God, would you help us to have faith that you will provide for us in the journey? Lord God, even if we think, I don't know how I'm going to manage when I get, you know, to this point. I know where this road leads. Lord, I thank you. We don't know where this road leads. You do. You're able to meet our every need. So Lord, right now, I want to pray that you would fill us all with your Holy Spirit, Lord God. That Spirit that gives us wisdom. That spirit that brings the love and the identity of God. That spirit that brings the power and the wisdom and the word of God. The spirit that brings the, uh, the, the kind of emotional strength that we need. The spirit that brings the words. The spirit that brings the energy. Lord, we want to pray. Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit this morning? So Lord, we can know your call. We can be secure in your call. We can run with the vision of God for our lives. Lord, we want to pray all this in the name of Jesus. We want to say, Lord God, we know that you are most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in you. When we are confident in you and who you've called us to be, I want to thank you. That's a powerful testament. So Lord, we want to pray this because we know it's the very best for us, but we want to pray it because we want you to be honoured and glorified in our lives. And we pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for praying with us this morning.